It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Glad you are here. The show is made possible by patrons like Mary, Joshua, Christian, Stephanie, Casey, Josh, Theodore, Matthew and Celia, Elizabeth, Sarah. Thanks so much for all of the support. They became patrons to directly support me and the show to keep the program on the air. If uh, this is content that you think is worth supporting and you can afford to do so, I appreciate all of the folks who uh, become patrons. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com, get exclusive content, and get some swag before the end of the year. Uh, we will be rolling out some new stuff in the uh, new year, so... Uh, it's a closeout, basically, on all of the old stuff. They'll become collector's items, I think, at some point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the show is also presented by Mattress Man. I was actually just over at their website checking out some of the deals um, because, you know, it, it has been about eight years since we had our last mattress from Mattress Man, since we bought it. And you know, we're kind of thinking maybe we get a new mattress in 2021. If you're thinking about maybe getting it a lot sooner... Like the deals right now are fantastic because uh, I just saw this one 50% off. This is the 2920 sleep mattress. 50% off these mattresses. So you can get a mattress that's usually selling for over $1,000 for. Five fifty, basically. Uh, you can get another one that's like almost thirteen hundred dollars for six forty seven fifty. These are great deals. This is only while supplies last. Also, the Biltmore collection by Restonic. These are made in Fayetteville, and these are the mattresses at the Biltmore uh, on the grounds. They have a hotel, they have an inn, and uh, these are the mattresses that are in those facilities. And if you want these mattresses, they are only exclusively at Mattress Man stores. They have a hybrid mattress blowout sale going on. They've got brand new mattresses, closeouts, clearance, discontinued mattresses, all of these at rock bottom prices, but also, you know, the luxurious lines as well. They've got Nature's Spa, which is made by Paramount Sleep, series of hybrid mattresses, uh, and these are featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. So if you are thinking about a new mattress, think no more. Just get on down to Mattress Man. they got uh, four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. Let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. They have five-star local delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. And be sure to, to tell them that you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. It's the way that they can track that their advertising works. I know it does, but if nobody ever tells them that they heard it here on the show, then, uh, you know, people start wondering. So uh, tell them you heard it here on the show, and I appreciate that, and uh, experience the difference. Go to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, buy local, and sleep better. So uh, I've got two stories here. So, well, I should say two versions of the same story. The North Carolina Supreme Court uh, gave Cooper one of his rare losses in a case about Cooper's desire to spend money that he's not constitutionally authorized to spend. And for folks who have paid attention to North Carolina politics for a long time, <clears throat> such as you and me, um, then this is uh, the latest chapter in an ongoing saga, it's been going on for decades now, of who gets to spend the money and who gets to direct the money uh, that is derived from lawsuits or 
they're not technically lawsuits because they had a settlement with a particular uh, perpetrator or uh, you know a defendant. Well, I shouldn't say settlement because if I say settlement, then that means the legislature gets to control that money. So what the executive branch has been doing is for decades saying that these are gifts. These aren't settlements, you see. They're just gifts. <laughs> <laughs> in perpetuity for a certain <laughs> for a certain amount of time for a certain amount of millions of dollars that the executive branch gets to dole out to their preferred uh, organizations uh, for whatever you know related kinds of work that the settle sorry the gift uh, is designed to mitigate okay so there are a couple examples of this uh, but the the big one here the most recent one was about federal dollars uh, and um, the uh, community development grants. <clears throat> so I'm not going to get into the weeds on like the specifics of the of the grant programs and such because it's not really necessary. But the, there were two different examples here uh, of recent smackdowns. So the North Carolina legislature, this is but listen to the way this is written. This is first off Gary Robertson's story at the Associated Press headline justices side with North Carolina lawmakers in grant challenge by Cooper. He begins, The North Carolina legislature can decide the details on how federal block grants are spent, even when they run counter to a governor's wishes, the state Supreme Court ruled. Even when they run counter to a governor's wishes. So the way this is framed, and you're going to really notice the difference when I read this next version of the story, um, because you can hear it, that the legislature can decide the details on how something gets spent, even when they run counter to a governor's wishes. So there's an assumption here in the language, in the way this is framed, that the governor's wishes should somehow take precedent, right? That that was the default premise upon which the argument was being made, that the governor's wishes are paramount to the North Carolina legislature's wishes, which I would point out here is to follow the North Carolina Constitution. <laughs> this is they want to follow the Constitution and say because the Constitution clearly states they get to make these calls, but those calls may run counter to what the governor wants. Okay, so here is listen to the comparison now. Here is the Carolina Journal run by the John Locke Foundation. The North Carolina Supreme Court has affirmed the General Assembly's control over state spending decisions, right? See, that's a positive framing, not like not like positive in the sense, you know, good versus bad, but it's a positive, not negative framing of the ruling that the winners take the spotlight here, right? That their position wins, and so they get the spotlight. Their, uh, their argument prevailed, and so the default premise is that their argument was the correct argument. And here's the next sentence. A new six to one ruling rejects the governor's attempt to bypass lawmakers in determining how federal block grants should be spent. <clears throat> and that's exactly what he did. That is exactly what's been going on. The executive branch keeps trying to do end runs around the legislature. They want to control the money because in North Carolina, we have a very weak governor system. I know I say that and everybody's like, well, what about the lockdowns? I agree. <laughs> I agree. But the Emergency Management Act, actually, we're going to get into that a little bit um, later on this week. Uh, the EMA may need to be reworked because I don't think anybody contemplated a governor uh, 
making an emergency last as long as governors are doing so now. Anyway, uh, but you notice the the difference here in the framing of the lead-in sentence. This is the trumpet statement. This is the the most important information, and uh, it comes right at you, right out of the gate, that in the Carolina Journal, it's positive that the General Assembly um, won the case, right? The court has affirmed uh, their control, uh, and the governor's attempt to bypass lawmakers in determining how federal block grants should be spent. So what is the case about? Just in brief, there, there was a 43-page opinion, came from Justice Sam Irvin IV, who's a Democrat, because remember, the state Supreme Court is 6-1 to one Democrat, at least until the new uh, justices get sworn in, and then it'll be 4-3 to three Democrat majority, although the Republicans swept all of their uh, races. So a new 6-1 to one ruling. All right, 43-page opinion from Justice Sam Irvin IV affirms earlier court rulings upholding state lawmakers' constitutional power to control money flowing into the state treasury. Who is the one dissenting vote? It was Justice Anita Earls. We'll come back to her uh, in a moment. The dispute arose in 2017. This is right after Roy Cooper beat Pat McCrory, the Republican, Cooper, Democrat, beats McCrory, and the legislature is controlled by Republicans. And they then approve a budget that spends money from three federal block grant programs in ways that Governor Cooper's proposed budget did not. Okay, so they had a disagreement about how to spend the federal block grant money. Cooper vetoes the budget and lawmakers then vote to override that veto. Cooper then files a a lawsuit (laughs) rather than rather than say, well, you know what? This is the legislature. They have the power of the purse. They get to control this. And uh, I, you know, I only won my race. I didn't win all of the races throughout the entire legislative body. And so I don't even all I get to do is approve or veto a budget. So he vetoes the budget um, and says, uh, I'm going to take you to court. He files a series of cases uh, in uh, they're called Cooper v. Berger, Phil Berger, the Senate President Pro Tem, uh, from uh, he's a Republican from Rockingham, ostensibly the most powerful man in the state legislature. So he argued, Cooper argued, that the General Assembly's actions encroached upon his executive authority. The dispute involved $17 million out of a $20 billion general fund budget. That's. I wonder how many lawyers got paid out on that. The governor lost the case at every single stage, every single level he lost. Uh, a trial court judge and a unanimous three-judge panel both affirmed the General Assembly's power to decide how state money gets spent. Because it's pretty clear in the Constitution. Like, it's right there. In, the state Constitution says... No money shall be drawn from the state treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. And who's the only one that gets to make the laws? That's right. It would be the lawmaking body, the legislature. (laughs) So pretty clear. In light of the constitutional provision, Justice Irvin wrote, quote, the power of the purse is the exclusive prerogative of the General Assembly, with the origin of the Appropriations Clause dating back to the time that the original state constitution was ratified in 1776. He has more to say on that. First, let me tell you about old Grouch's military surplus. 
I mean, I've got tons to say about old Grouch's military surplus. It's a great place. I was showing a friend this weekend uh, some pictures that I'd uh, taken uh, of some of the stuff that he's got on the shelves that Tim has on the shelves at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, just tons of real U.S. military surplus. But also um, there are a bunch of other things he's got, like, for example, uh, these uh, survival kits. These are limited edition survival outdoors kits. So if you're trying to build up your survival inventory and you're starting from scratch this is a great starter pack or uh if you're not you know into prepping and survival and all that stuff but you do like to go on hikes or you like to go camping this is what you need okay or if you got somebody in your family that's hard to shop for this is what they need if they go hiking and camping because it's a base uh that you can build off of and it has all of the stuff that you're going to need like a, a swedish made high quality mora knife is what they're called Fire starter, canteen, compass, and more. It's all packed into your choice of either an ammo can, so you can you know put it in the truck, uh, or uh, a shoulder bag that's actually a repurposed Finnish Army gas mask bag. So uh, go on down to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, uh, the uh, the limited edition survival outdoor kits. These are online only, by the way, at oldgrouch.com. But if you walk in there, you're going to find all of the elements of these kits. And uh, Tim is happy to help you uh, find the uh, gifts for those hard-to-shop-for folks. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's in downtown Clyde on Main Street and at oldgrouch.com. So um, the Appropriations Clause of the State Constitution very, very clearly says that the state legislature controls the purse strings. And this is the same at the federal level as well, right? And here is what the uh, justice wrote, uh, Sam Irvin wrote in his opinion. He said, in drafting the appropriations clause, the framers sought to ensure that the people, through their elected representatives in the General Assembly, had full and exclusive control over the allocation of the state's expenditures. He goes on to say, as a result, the appropriations clause states in language that no man can misunderstand that the legislative power is supreme over the public purse. This is a Democrat judge saying this in this case. It states in language that no man can misunderstand this is the purpose. Okay, except apparently... Roy Cooper, a lifelong lawmaker and a four-term attorney general in North Carolina, and by the way, the current attorney general, Josh Stein, and one of the sitting justices on the North Carolina Supreme Court. Apparently, they cannot understand that the legislative power is supreme over the public purse. Like, this is the plain language of the Constitution. Everybody recognizes this. This is like one of the fundamental things you learn when you first learn about the three branches of government. When you say, okay, here's the executive, here's the legislative, and here's the judicial branch. The laws are passed by the legislature. They have the power of the purse, right? All spending bills originate in the House, right? Like, this is fundamental to our system. But apparently, (laughs) uh, Roy Cooper... Despite 16 years as attorney general in North Carolina, not aware of this fact, I guess, Irvin rejected each of Governor Cooper's arguments attempting to distinguish federal block grants from other state funds controlled by the state budget process. Essentially, the argument was, well, these are from the Fed, so it's different. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, it's not. Not different at all. Um, Earls sided with the governor. Remember, Justice Anita Earls 
is a social justice leftist activist lawyer, like literally created the, was it uh, uh, the Southern Campaign for Social Justice? Okay, so that Anita Earl sued the state over, you know, lots of Republican legislative matters. Um, here's what she wrote. She was the lone dissent. Here's what she wrote. The particular federal block grants at issue in this case are appropriately subject to the discretion of the executive. In reaching the opposite conclusion, the majority ignores our precedent defining the extent of executive authority in the face of delegated authority from our state and federal legislatures and misinterprets our prior case law. So what is she what is she saying? She's relying on on the the court's own interpretations over the years, right? She's saying, well, you know, we had some lawyers in robes and they said some stuff here and a couple other cases and I think they should apply now. And what the other five justices or six justices, I should say, five Democrats, one Republican, they all said, yeah, but like it's right here in the Constitution and that's a law, too. It's actually the seminal authority. That's <laughs> the it's the Constitution and everything should adhere to that. And that one's pretty clear. OK, so let me go back to the AP story on this, because this was um, there, well, here's the AP. Nothing in either state or federal law makes the executive branch responsible for determining how the money is derived from the relevant federal block grant program should be spent. That's from Sam Irvin, the majority opinion. Um, Instead, the justices agreed with Republican lawmakers who said the state constitution tells them they get to make funding decisions for money that sits in the state treasury, even federal funds that have some strings attached. This was the carve out that (laughs) that Cooper was trying to make and Danita Earls agreed with and Josh Stein agreed with uh, the attorney general. They're all saying that, well, because they have strings attached, we should really control it. Well, no, the money has to be spent within broad categories that are set by Washington, D.C., but the Republican legislature still gets to control that money because it comes into the Treasury. Um, Irvin disagreed with Cooper's argument that the money wasn't truly within the state treasury, but merely custodial funds that a governor decides to spend. (laughs) So just because it comes into the budget doesn't mean, or the general fund doesn't mean that it's really in the treasury. It's just getting passed through. It's custodial funds, and those are totally different. Different pockets in the same set of pants, if you will. We have been unable to find any provision, though, in the North Carolina state constitution that creates a category of money that might possibly include the federal block grant monies that lie outside the state treasury or General Assembly's appropriation authority. So in other words, what are these? What is the uh, majority saying? They're like, yeah, nice argument there about the custodial funds, but th- that's not anywhere in the constitution. And so we're going to follow that. <laughs> and you got finally... Uh, The ruling was among hundreds of actions that the state's highest court announced as it attempts to clear the decks uh, before two justices leave at the end of the month. Uh, Irwin and Earls, who are both Democrats, they stay on the court. So Sam Irvin and Anita Earls, they stay. But the Democrat 6-1 majority uh, is wiped out uh, because uh, Republicans swept all of the uh, elections, the judicial race elections for the uh, state Supreme Court and the appellate courts, by the way. So uh, that'll now be a 4-3 majority. So that was the first case that Cooper took uh, a, a loss on. Next up, the North Carolina, this is <laughs> Carolina Journal again, uh, the North Carolina Attorney General cannot keep and distribute money from a settlement over hog waste that leaked and overflowed from lagoons. Okay, this is going back a ways. Okay, got to go way back to 1999, Hurricane Floyd. 
I remember it well. My sister was living in Wilmington. She actually uh, lost her apartment, her car, and her job because of Hurricane Floyd. It flooded darn near half the state of North Carolina. It killed, I don't even know how many hogs, just drowned livestock all over the place because the it wasn't the hurricane that did so much damage. It was the, the storm surge. It was the flooding after the fact. Okay, and when those lagoons flooded, not only did they kill all of these hogs, like I think it was millions of hogs and chickens and every just just catastrophic. Not only did it kill all of these uh, animals, but the environmental damage was just awful. Okay, and so there was an agreement that was entered into. Can I say agreement? Is that technically the case? I guess it was. I mean, that's what it was called at the time. I'll get to that because they're trying to they're trying to do some some wiggling and weaseling out of the the vocabulary that has been used for twenty years on this because now it now it's uncomfortable from a legal perspective. It's kind of hard to defend because what you call it matters. Okay, so there was a decision on the North Carolina Court of Appeals. It was a two to one split. And the Court of Appeals ruled, this panel ruled, that money that came from this settlement between Smithfield Foods and the North Carolina Attorney General, it has to go to the state treasury as well. Okay? So these, so the last case I just talked about, the, the, the last ruling against Cooper and this one, and there's, a, there's another one that's out there, they are, they're all linked here. Because it's a matter of where does the money come from and go, and then once it arrives there, who gets to spend it? Who has control over that money? Okay, and this is pretty important. You'll find out why. The ruling effectively ends the Attorney General's Hog Settlement Slush Fund. Okay, this is from Mitch Kokai, who is the senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation, um, who says it could also end any similar deals in the future involving officials in the state's executive branch. Okay. This is uh, this is important, just like, by the way, a good night's sleep is very important, which is why I cannot recommend highly enough growers hemp. I actually this is, I have not had this happen in a very long time, but literally last night I woke up uh, at about 1 a.m. This is a little after 1 a.m. And I laid in bed for an hour and I could not get back to sleep. And so I uh, I got out of bed and I, I did some work. I, I worked for like another hour or two and then I went back to bed. And I realized when I got up, I'd forgotten to take my CBD drops. I take them every night before bed. Last night, I forgot. And when I woke up in the middle of the night, my mind racing of things to do and topics and all of this stuff, I just, I couldn't get back to sleep. My mind would not sort of shut down for me. And uh, people say, well, Pete, I, I listened to your show. It sounds like your mind is shut down for like at least half of this program. That's... But no, it just it wouldn't stop racing. And so um, I was like, I didn't take my CBD drop. So I, I took half the dosage and then, uh, you know, did some work and then laid back down and went to bed and I fell asleep and I stayed asleep and then, you know, woke up late <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, well, no, I, I purposefully woke up late on purpose because I didn't need to sleep. So uh, or I, I, I could sleep later because I did work earlier. Right. So this is what CBD has done for me. What are you looking for CBD to do for you? Are you looking for a deeper sleep, lower tension maybe, a balanced state of mind, better quality of life, a positive mental outlook? Growers Hemp, North Carolina-based, North Carolina farmers, uh, these are like family farms. They got together and they're like, let's do sort of a co-op model and we'll get all the farmers involved and uh, we, we will, you know, grow the hemp and then we will control the whole process, the manufacturing of it and all. And from seed to shelf, 
They control it, which means what? Better quality for you and a lower price. And you're supporting North Carolina agriculture, North Carolina farmers, family farms, uh, keeping them afloat because they're offering a product that is really useful. Now, as with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Now, uh, they do have the drops. They have all sorts of flavors that uh, people listen to the program. They participated in a focus group, and they love the the flavors of the CBD oil. Uh, They also have topicals, balms, and salves. So go to growershemp.com, check out the inventory, growershemp.com, and don't forget, use the promo code PETE, and you'll get 20% off. Growershemp.com. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. All right, so what's next here? North Carolina Court of Appeals issues its opinion on the Smithfield Foods settlement. Sorry, agreement. Sorry, gift to North Carolina. (laughs) This is the gift. Like, oh, we're sorry that our lagoons overflowed and, you know, uh, harmed a lot of uh, the environment and people. And so here, take this gift that we're totally giving you, not because we are required to give you this gift in order to avoid any kind of litigation. Uh, No, no, no. We're giving you this gift because we're sorry. Right? That's the idea here. Do you find that believable? I've never found that believable. I always assumed it to be a settlement. It was a way to avoid a long and costly litigation. By the way, something very similar, and they use this as sort of the the blueprint, was uh, the tobacco settlement, which was called the Golden Leaf Fund in North Carolina. So the tobacco companies pay a bunch of money into the uh, the Golden Leaf Fund, which is then used to, you know, uh, combat childhood obesity and to fund child health care programs and such. And so, you know, for years, we've joked uh, to, you know, make sure you smoke for the children. <laughs> well, granted, it was funnier when I was a smoker. But, uh, well, well, it will be funnier if I put the rim shot in, because every joke is about 57% funnier. So smoke for the children. That's, see what I mean? You probably laughed a little bit on the second time. Anyway, the uh, Article 9, Section 7 of the uh, uh, North Carolina Constitution is clear, okay, that money that comes from a settlement shall remain in the county that the the uh, that the devastation happened in right and will maintain free public schools and that the general assembly controls the fund this is connected by the way folks in charlotte may recognize this you know why they don't have the red light cameras in uh, north carolina anymore is because the cameras were set up and then the revenue was going to the city and there were uh, there were lawsuits filed because the money has to actually go to schools and that that's in the Constitution. When you're taking fines and and settlements and this kind of stuff, it has to go to the school districts in the counties. And so uh, they actually just abandoned the whole program because they would lose money <laughs> running <laughs> running the red light cameras, which they said was for safety purposes the whole time. This was for safety purposes. The red light cameras, you know, that take pictures when people cross into the 
uh, into the intersection after the light turns red. They they claimed that it was for safety purposes, but as soon as they were told that they couldn't keep the revenue and it was going to cost the money to implement it, well, then safety wasn't quite as important <laughs> as they originally led us to believe. So this this Smithfield deal, okay, dates back to 1999, Hurricane Floyd. The attorney here's the ruling from the Court of Appeals. The attorney general uh, is not only the state's chief law enforcement officer, but a steward of our liberties. This is the opinion uh, written by John Tyson, uh, writing for himself, as well as his fellow justice, Phil Berger Jr., who, yes, is the son of the Senate majority leader in the legislature. But Phil Berger Jr. is a judge on the Court of Appeals. The attorney general is um, uh, the chief law enforcement officer and a steward of our liberties. The stated purpose of the public funds being used for environmental purposes was not changed by the statute, which mandates the location and depository where the public money is to be deposited and held. All funds due or held under the agreement must be paid and deposited into the state treasury rather than into a private bank account under the exclusive control and discretion of the attorney general. Because that's where it's been going (laughs) for the last 20 years. The attorney general set up a separate account, their own private bank account, and they took the money, millions of dollars a year, they took the money and then distributed it out. So it never went into the Treasury, and because it never went to the Treasury, you see, then the legislature doesn't get to control it. And we don't have to fund all of these public schools in those counties that were most affected. See how that works? We just didn't put it in the Treasury, and now we get to skirt the constitutional law. Oh, it's just it's just an amazing coincidence. Stein is allowed to appeal this to a higher court. It is entirely possible, Mitch Kokai, John Locke Foundation says, it's entirely possible that Stein will push to send the case back to the state Supreme Court, where four of the justices who ruled in his favor in April are still going to be on the bench. They could make up a majority in a new ruling in the case, okay, because it's still 4-3 Democrat control. But beyond the numbers, the case could force justices to choose between schools and an environmental slush fund. And that's not going to be an attractive (laughs) uh, choice for these justices uh, or who are going to be up for election in another two years. So uh, they may not be so interested in getting tagged with supporting a slush fund for the attorney general because they are elected positions. Uh, There was a new law that was put in place in 2019 because of all of these slush funds, and there's another one, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I know of one of these, you would be correct, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Exactly. The other slush fund uh, uh, that never got off the ground because people recognized it for what it was. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. So the 2019 legislative uh, language in this new law about state use of gifts right, should mitigate similar slush funds in the future, because this is what the the uh, attorney general, Josh Stein and Roy Cooper and Mike Easley, his the predecessor, they all argued that these are just gifts. Think about that for a moment. OK, you have a massive flood kills off all of this livestock, right, contaminates the groundwater, environmental disaster in half of the state and the owner of these lagoons, these hog waste lagoons, uh, then enters into an agreement in order to avoid litigation, a settlement deal with Mike Easley at the time to create a an environmental mitigation fund that the attorney general gets to control. And then 
think about it, right? The money is seeded every year with millions of dollars that come from Smithfield, and that which is China now, right? Chinese owed Smithfield. That money then is uh, forwarded to environmentalist groups who, when they're engaged in political discourse, who do you think they generally are attacking? Well, you would be correct here. <laughs> it is Republicans. Yeah, Republicans. Um, let me go over here back. This is from 2016, prior to the governor's election. A lawsuit that got filed. This was um, a new lawsuit, and that's where we are today, four years later. This new lawsuit that got filed right before the 2016 election, okay? And it goes over. This is Don Carrington's piece at the Carolina Journal. He says the Smithfield Agreement was the result of then-Attorney General Mike Easley's concern about environmental pollution related to hog farming. After hog waste lagoons overflowed into North Carolina rivers in 1999 as a result of Floyd, Easley began discussions with Smithfield which was the nation's largest hog processor. The company has slaughterhouses in North Carolina processing its own hogs and those raised by contract producers. Easley also was running for governor in 2000. The agreement was signed in July. Okay, so during the campaign season, when Easley is running for governor, he's attorney general, he then uh, gets this agreement with Smithfield. It called for Smithfield to pay $15 million to the North Carolina State University to identify and develop waste handling technology that was better than the common practice of just, you know, putting it into these lagoons and then uh, spraying it on fields after the waste was deemed safe. Okay, that was what they were doing. They were taking all the pig poo and it was all like this slushy, slurry kind of mixture and they would just spray it on fields. And people who lived in the vicinity, by the way, are not too happy with that process. The agreement also called for Smithfield to pay $2 million every year for 25 years to environmental enhancement projects designated by the attorney general without defining how projects would qualify for funding or which projects were considered high priorities. Cooper was elected attorney general that same year in 2000. He took office in 2001, and he's been awarding the grants every year since the program began. Okay, so for 16 years, Cooper was doling out $2 million a year. And according to Cooper's office, uh, he awarded more than $27 million to more than 100 recipients through this grants program. The funds will be paid, this is the agreement, the funds will be paid to such organizations or trusts as the Attorney General will designate. Okay, that's very clear from the settlement, okay? Cooper's office says uh, in the lawsuit that the Smithfield settlement includes no fines, no forfeitures, or penalties. And so the payments are not made to our office or the state. So because this is a this is a sue and settle approach, right? This is we will come down on you, Smithfield, unless you agree to avoid litigation. So you give us all this money, but we're not going to call it a fine. We're not going to call it a forfeiture and we're not going to call it a penalty. So therefore, we're going to get to control the money. Documents supplied by Noel Talley. Uh, who is the or was the uh, Cooper spokeswoman, I think she still is actually, indicate that PNC Bank is the trustee. The bank presumably uh, collects and then deposits the money from Smithfield and then writes the checks to the grantees when Cooper says so. One of Cooper's grants went to an organization that wrote ads or funded ads, I should say, critical of Pat McCrory. 
shocking development, <laughs> right? Who would have thought that they would have used the money uh, in an environmental group to attack a Republican governor over his environmental record? So what's going on? You got a, a settlement deal that Smithfield is paying ostensibly to mitigate the harms caused by Hurricane Floyd and all the people and property that were affected. And then the governor gets to, or the attorney general rather, gets to take that money and use it as a sort of a pass-through vehicle with these environmental groups to attack his political opponents. That is a slush fund. And that's why when Cooper came along with his Atlantic Coast Pipeline Fund, people were like, okay, let's just stop this right now. Let's just stop this right now. Um, I wish I could stop my friends from moving, but I can't because they went and talked to Rowena Patton and then she sold their house. Like it happened very fast. <laughs> so this weekend I was actually helping them pack and move and I was, I'm was i sad. I'm sad to see them go, but I'm very glad they used Rowena Patton. But I'm also kind of sad they did because she got their house sold so fast. But they seem very happy. They're going to be moving. They got their forever home. Uh, unfortunately, it's out of state, but that means then I just get to visit them. Um, and... Uh, they're very, and they were very happy. They got they got a great price for their house. And uh, look, they're starting the next chapter of their lives. And I wish them all the best. Uh, best, Alan, Beth, uh, great friends, great people. And uh, they got they, they're getting a great house, and they sold a great house. Uh, I got to go help them pack some more today too. But uh, <laughs> like like I'm happy to help them, but I'm also not happy. <laughs> so uh, look, if you are trying to sell your house. Take it from Alan Beth, right? Call Rowena Patton, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. That's the website, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. Trust me, start packing like immediately. You you hang up the phone and then start packing because she's going to get the house sold very, very fast. That's what she does. All right, so I mentioned the Atlantic Coast Pipeline and the Mitigation Fund. In 2018, Governor Cooper, uh, who had faced opposition from his base over the pipeline project, according to the John Locke Foundation, uh, write up on this. And that's true, by the way. Um, Cooper negotiated like a $58 million deal with Duke Energy and Dominion Energy. And they wanted to run this natural gas pipeline through North Carolina. And uh, they they announced the permit approvals the same day as they announced this mitigation fund. And ostensibly, it was supposed to be used for environmental projects along the route of the pipeline in those counties. $57.8 million. And he never said, Cooper never said at the time, how the money was supposed to be allocated. He just made this announcement. And then later on, when he started getting pushback on it and criticized for it, he said, oh, well, of course, I mean, I was totally going to outline the structure. I'm not going to control it personally. I mean, what do you take me for, some slush fund defender and operator? Come on now. Pay no attention to the Smithfield slush fund operation I've been defending. Um, and going to court to preserve and protect, by the way. Like the, hog, uh, like the hog settlement money that he controlled for 16 years as attorney general, the pipeline fund would have avoided the state treasury and legislative appropriations. And instead, the governor would have exercised complete control over the pipeline fund. It was supposed to help counties that would be affected by the pipeline. 
Okay, and he was going to use it for economic development and environmental repairs. And I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that the environmentalist groups were not happy with this pipeline because they don't want any of the fossil fuels to be moved through the state or used by anybody, really. So they were not happy with Cooper, a Democrat. Um, so this would help kind of shore up those organizations that are ooh so angry. But OK, I'll take all of your money from this grant program. Um, but also you spread out the money in these counties for economic development projects. And maybe, just maybe, they look a little bit more favorably on Governor Cooper next election season, you know, because he only beat McCrory by 0.2% of the vote, like 10,000 votes. It was very, very close. So, you know, if you're worried about your reelection prospects at the time, this was 2018, then, you know, maybe you cut a deal with these big power companies who understand, I guess, it's the cost of getting stuff done in North Carolina when Democrats are in control. Because, by the way, that is pay to play politics. And that is what government did when Democrats were in control for over a century in North Carolina. People went to prison for it eventually, and it was largely dismantled when Democrats got thrown out in 2010, the whole pay-to-play culture that they had created and nurtured over that time. It had, it had crumbled. Um, but when they took back control with Roy Cooper, and Roy Cooper, by the way, you know, part of that Democrat machine that had employed the pay-to-play model, um, here we go again. So I was not surprised that he would be producing this kind of an agreement. Uh, the General Assembly, though, went about passing a law saying that any of the money that Duke and Dominion Energy Companies uh, would be giving to the state of North Carolina would have to fund local schools. Now, no money ever did flow uh, into that pipeline fund because the pipeline was eventually canceled. It just took too long, and um, the whole thing got scrapped. They ended up in litigation. There were challenges and stuff, and they were like, you know what, we're, we're not going to move this, uh, this natural gas, which, you know, kind of stinks if you were along the pipeline path and looking to tap into the pipeline for natural gas. Kind of stinks if you were hoping that, you know, this natural gas could be a way to reduce our dependence on foreign oil. Uh, kind of stinks if you were hoping that the natural gas might be a, a cleaner alternative to the coal-burning power plants. Yeah, kind of stinks that the pipeline didn't happen. So thanks, Governor Cooper. Although I guess he would say, you know, thank the General Assembly because they're the ones that uh, wouldn't let me spend the $58 million on my preferred... Uh, organizations, my environmentalist groups and such. All the General Assembly said was, look, you got to follow the Constitution. It's got to go to the schools in the counties that are affected. That's what the Constitution says. And Cooper just does not like this provision, apparently, in the Constitution, which is kind of weird because he's always talking about how we're not funding our education system enough. Isn't that weird that for a guy who campaigns so much on the need to fund our schools more and more and more and pay teachers more and more and more, and the Republicans stink, they're not willing to give them any money. But as soon as a mitigation settlement comes along that the money is supposed to go to the schools, what does he do? Right. He sidetracks it. He diverts it into some sort of a fund that he gets to control and then he doles it out for political favors. Like that's the point. Right. You gain favorability among the people uh, in these organizations that get the grant money and they become hooked on the government spigot. So uh, that's the way the uh, that's the way Cooper operates. Now, on second thought, maybe the money should not go to schools, given this headline out of Durham. 
The public schools there are guaranteeing all students an A on their state-mandated final exams this semester. The school board approved an adjusted grading scale of 90 to 100. (laughs) So the lowest you can get is a 90 for your end-of-course tests and career and technical education exams. Uh, The vote followed the State Board of Education giving local districts the option to weigh exam scores differently this year because of COVID, obviously. The exams are taken mostly by high school students and must count for 20% of their final grades for the course that they're taking it, uh, the exam in. Um, and then in, but in a memo in November, the state board chairman, Eric Davis, told superintendents that they could use their own uh, derived 0 to 100 scale for both exams. And so Durham said, okay, you know what? We're going to set the minimum grade at 90 and the max at 100. So everybody gets an A. Students can take the tests during the spring and up until the beginning of July. However, if students choose to wait, they will receive an incomplete for the course uh, in the meantime. That is statewide. Over in Wake County, the lowest score a student can get if they take those state tests is a 60, (laughs) but they said um, Wake is using its state flexibility so that the test scores will only count if they raise the student's grade for the class. So if, yeah, so if you are good at taking tests, but not so good in the classroom and you do well on the test, but not so good throughout the rest of the course uh, for the year while you've been, you know, remote learning and such, uh, then, yeah, okay, we'll count it towards your final grade. But if you get a bad test score uh, and it lowers your overall grade, then we're not going to count it. Um, Although DPS will give all students a minimum of a 90 on the exams, this is Durham, the students' actual test results will still show up on their official transcripts seen by colleges and universities. (laughs) So the district will also report the actual test results to the state, which will factor it into school performance grades. So what's the point here? Okay, what is the point? Here you go. Chip Sudrath, a spokesperson for Durham Public Schools, said the district is still deciding how the adjusted grade on final exams may affect a student's progressing to the next level of a course. Social promotion. That's what this is about. This is about uh, getting the kids, even if they're not prepared for the next grade because of COVID and all of the decisions that the adults have made, um, not letting those kids get held back forcing them to move up to the next grade, even though they are not ready, even though they didn't actually pass the classes or the tests, right? That's what they're trying to get around. The new superintendent for public instruction, Catherine Truitt, she does not support the Republican. She does not support using an assessment punitively for teachers or schools, but said that the exams give the state's education leaders helpful information. She says, we need to know the extent of the learning loss that students have suffered. So she wants to know, like, let's see the test results so we know how bad this has been on their learning. Truett would not comment on the choices that local superintendents are making on their grading scales. Meanwhile, out in San Francisco, having solved all of the COVID-related educational losses, uh, they uh, have now focused their attention on renaming schools, and they have gone so woke, they are canceling Lincoln, (laughs) which is exactly what we said would happen. I'm old enough to remember when people were saying, hey, you guys start tearing down all these monuments and renaming all of this stuff. Where does it end? I was asking at the time, what is the limiting principle? 
Where does it stop? Because there doesn't seem to be any kind of a barrier. There's no finish line here of where it ends. Once you start down this iconoclastic path, then then where do you end? Where do you stop destroying stuff? Where do you stop the tearing down of of people and places and history and names and such? You know, in Asheville, North Carolina, we're dealing with this right now because uh, they're talking about tearing down a statue named after the uh, the governor during the Confederacy, uh, Zebulon Vance. But also, they're going to rename all the streets that were named after anybody who owned slaves. Okay, well, how about Asheville? How about the whole city named after Governor Ash, slave owner, or better yet? How about the state of North Carolina, named after the guy over in England who established the slave trade? So uh, yeah, people are like, what, the guy named Carolina is named after King Charles. So, uh, yeah, Carola, I believe, or something. It's like the Latin name for Charles. And so, yeah, that's that's what they did. They named they named these territories after the people that had these honors and titles and such. A lot of times it was done to ingratiate themselves <laughs> so they would, you know, they'd get left alone or they get some benefits or whatever. Hey, look, we named our town after you, King. We love you. Please don't invade. So uh, or let us keep our money. Please let us keep our crops. We named our town after you. So why why do you stop at a street name? Why do you stop at a monument name? Why wouldn't you stop at the city name? Right. And then like what what names do you keep? I'm going to get into this San Francisco story in a minute first. Uh, get into general equipment rental. I'm looking forward to this because Christy and I actually, you know, we bought our, uh, or we put our money down on a new house. It's now uh, being built and um, we get, you know, we get to pick some, uh, make some uh, choices in the process. It's called build to suit. So it's not like a custom built house or anything, but um, I know as being a former homeowner that I'm going to need to do some projects once the house is built because I'm going to want to, you know, do things to make it our own that the builder is not going to do. So uh, I know I'm going to need some tools. But I, I don't want to buy a whole bunch of tools. So I'm going to go to General Equipment Rental, and I'm going to rent the tool, and I'm going to use it for the project that I need it for, and then I'm going to give the tool back. And yay me, job is done. Job is done fast and efficiently and effectively and done right the first time. Because there's nothing worse, trust me, <laughs> than doing a project without the right tool. Oh my gosh, it's infuriating. And usually ends up with me cursing, going back and forth and back and forth multiple times to a big box store, trying to figure out what I'm doing when I don't know what tool I should be using. Uh, the general equipment rental folks on Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road at the intersection there in Weaverville, they know all these tools. They know how they work and they can help you. They'll show you how to use the tool so you get the job done right the first time. General Equipment Rental, family owned and operated for three generations. Great people. They support this show. So please support them for all of your equipment rental needs. Or if you're thinking about buying, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Okay. So if you want some outdoor equipment, top of the line stuff uh, at great prices, go to General Equipment Rental. GeneralRents.com is their website. General Equipment Rental, think outside your toolbox. So a San Francisco school district is planning to rename a school that was named after Abraham Lincoln because the former president did not demonstrate that black lives mattered to him. He simply abolished slavery, freeing every black person in America at the time. It's not enough. What have I always said? You'll never be woke enough. For folks who don't know, woke 
means that you are now like aware of all these things. You are woke to the plights of other people and the history and all of this stuff to your white privilege and all that woke. The president is often held up as an American hero for, you know, abolishing slavery is just one of 44 historical figures soon to have their names scratched off schools within the San Francisco Unified School District. Other names include George Washington, Herbert Hoover and Senator Dianne Feinstein. (laughs) In the wake of the police killing a George Floyd The district uh, set up a renaming committee, and now they have come back with their recommendations, and they've decided Lincoln is not worthy of keeping his name on the school, this high school, Abraham Lincoln High, the majority, because the majority of his policies proved to be detrimental to Native Americans. Native Americans, yeah. So he frees all of the uh, slaves, but, but he did bad stuff to Native Americans. Abraham Lincoln is not seen as much of a hero at all among American Indian nations and natives, uh, native peoples of the United States, as the majority of his policies proved to be detrimental to them. According to the committee notes, under his watch, indigenous peoples had much of their land taken away from them. The walk became known as the Long Walk of the Navajo, with at least 200 people dying en route and over 2,000 dying during conflict before a treaty was signed in 1868, granting the Navajo permission to set up a reservation. Uh, Jeremiah Jeffries, the chairman of the renaming committee and a first grade teacher. So he's he's impacting young skulls of mush, right, as Rush Limbaugh would call them. He said that the positive parts of Lincoln's record cannot discount the negatives. But don't worry. You know, the guy who literally abolished slavery is not woke enough because he's done other bad things. But one of the names that survived, labor leader and community organizer and Latino American civil rights activist Cesar Chavez, he gets to keep his school name. Okay, Cesar Chavez Elementary School will stay Cesar Chavez Elementary School. He founded the National Farm Workers Association in 1962, which then merged with the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee to become the United Farm Workers. The union helped improve working conditions and pay for Latino farm workers in California, Texas, and Arizona. However, he also made repeated derogatory comments about undocumented immigrants and called for their deportation. But he was a leftist. He's a leftist, so he can stay. By the way, the reason why Dianne Feinstein gets her name taken down is because there was a uh, Confederate flag uh, that flew in front of San Francisco City Hall for a brief period of time for some reason, and she didn't take it down. So she's canceled, too. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) 